welcome to episode 86 of Running Matters Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Hadfield, and today we're chatting with Tom DeCanto. And Tom is a Melbourne Marathon winner, six-foot track champion, gun sports podiatrist, and running shoe guru. So he's really the complete package. And uh, this week we get stuck into all things loading, intensity, and injury. We break down the secrets behind Tom's success across track, road, and trail running. And we also get proper nerdy in the dark world of carbon plates, high stacks, and rocker bottoms. So, uh, yeah, plenty to take in today. We cross to Sean at Renala to review the Petzl Swift 900 lumen headlamp, or as I like to call it, the Daymaker. Um, just quickly before we get started, I'd like to uh, congratulate a couple of previous guests. Uh, Rowan Browning getting faster and faster, qualifying for the Tokyo Olympics in an astonishing 10.09 seconds for the 100 metres. Well done, Rowan. Uh, Ollie Hoare uh, making sure people are paying attention over there in the States, running a 3.33 in the 1500. So once again, potentially Tokyo bound and our fingers are crossed for you, Ollie. Uh, and then most astonishingly, Jared Clifford running a debut marathon in Penrith of two hours, 19 minutes, uh, pacing uh, for Michael Roger um, and, and ended up just running through to the finish line in a very, very impressive time of two hours, 19. So well done, Jared. That was another world record for Jared. So congratulations. Now, before we get started, also, I'd just like to thank our podcast partners, Ranala, Raid Light, Sydney Brewery, Basecamp Altitude, Guy Allied Health Centre, Goo Energy, Fractal Performance Headwear, and Precision Hydration. And without further ado, we'll duck over and have a chat to Tom. Enjoy. Okay, welcome to Tom DeCanto. Welcome to the show, mate. Thanks for having me. Yeah, well, thanks for having me over at Walker Street, Podiatry. How long have you been here for? No worries. Um, about six or seven years now, I'd say. Okay, yeah. yeah. Nice part of the world, mate. It's beautiful. Yeah, I like it around here. I like, I like, um, I like that I set up around here. It's... It's worked out well. It's a good call. And you're about 12Ks away, I've seen. Uh, yeah, yeah, 12K. It's the commute. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Did you yeah. commute in this morning? Yeah, I did. Yeah, nice. How yeah. regularly does that happen? Uh, it's pretty much every day. Okay. I'm, um, I have a slightly shorter commute some days when I drop the kids off um, part of the way at daycare. Yeah. But um, otherwise, yeah, it's 12K door to door. Yeah, so. and back as well. Yeah, and back. Yeah, so that's, how, that's how I get the mileage. Yeah, it's that's a nice how. way to get 24Ks a day. It's yeah. impressive. Yeah. Now, we originally tried to uh, hook up to talk about uh, what I thought might be a win in the six-foot track marathon. Uh, I thought you'd be right up there with yeah, Ben Duffus and Benny St. Lawrence. What, what yeah. happened there, mate? Um, yeah, I, um, I've been wanting to do it for like a few years since I, since I ran it in 2016, yeah. and I thought this year maybe it'd be a good time. But uh, I got, yeah, I got sick. I got like a, a bad sort of, I don't know what it was pretty much man flu it knocked it knocked me back bad so okay um yeah 10 weeks off running and then getting back to it a few little niggles yeah um so yeah wasn't wasn't worth it was like an injury risk i thought it's not worth doing yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure particularly when you got stuff in the future you know? yeah yeah there's other stuff that i sort of didn't want to be um like sore and or, or injured from yeah yeah, uh, yeah. leading into yeah yeah makes sense to me now what uh what brought you running in the first place mate i believe you're bit of a rugby player growing up and then uh, hit the running slightly yeah. later yeah um, yeah so pretty much I, yeah I did play rugby at school I was, I was actually a, 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 a second rower yeah so I was actually kind of chunky back, yep. back in the day 
hence what prompted me to start running was that I was a little bit on the bigger side and um, you know just starting to get to that age where you're a little bit self-conscious about about that sort of stuff so it was basically like I think every day after school I'd just like run around the block at home yeah, right. and it might have been I think it was only like it's probably less than 2k even but I thought at the time I was like this is a massive run it's like yeah, yeah. and um, I got a little bit fit off that and, and, and the training from other sports and did um, at school just like one of the fitness tests my PE teacher said oh yeah you should definitely join the school um, athletics so kind of went and did that and went okay and then just went from there so just sort of then really got into running through encouragement from from um, teachers at school okay and so you had some affinity for it initially like there was some endurance in there yeah yeah so saying that like that was just my strong suit was just the endurance side of things like um never particularly like fast um like i remember in rugby i'd always get like just run down if i had like a, a break <clears throat> i would never make a break because like i was just so slow but i could just go all day <laughs> Hence why I was probably better as a forward because yeah. it just wasn't quick, but I just could keep going and going. Yeah, yeah, mate. You can you can tell you're a rugby player just looking at you. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah. Very very obvious. Very yeah. obvious. And uh, obviously got into it, you know, quite seriously at one point and sort of self coached through you know, a number of years there. Yeah. Um, and I believe there was an original injury, a bit of a stress fracture. That was your first sort of introduction to injury, yeah. which might have been the reason why you uh, became a podiatrist in the first place. Is that accurate? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, I think it was, yeah, it would have been one of my first running injuries, maybe my second um, uh, track season running uh, ath- like athletics at school. It was a yeah, stress fracture in the foot. Mm. Um, I think it was a sports doctor who then recommended I see a podiatrist because I had a, maybe a couple of other foot injuries prior to that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so yeah, saw a podiatrist for uh, opinion on that, and yeah, just that's what exposed me to podiatry. Mm-hmm. And I guess what kind of volume were you looking at when you were getting that sort of stress reaction? Stress. Oh, you? good question. Uh, I can't remember to be honest. I mean, I was probably running five days a week. This is probably when I was sixteen years old. Five days a week, and my I do remember my, my long run, which I thought at the time was like so long, it was six, 60 minutes. So yeah, it was right. like my, my Sunday long run back then. Okay. Um, total volume. Yeah, it, it wouldn't have been more than maybe 80 k a week. Yeah, right. I mean, it, it doesn't sound like a lot, I guess, but as a 16-year-old, maybe, or obviously, too much there. Yeah, yeah. What, what's your opinion on, I guess, loading kids up now? Do you think we should be playing the long game more? or? Um, I've only been thinking about this more since, obviously, I've had kids, so you start to think about this stuff more. And I, I think, in general, a, a philosophy of just exposing children to lots of different sports is really healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, there is like research on on um, uh, like bone like poorer bone health when you early specialize kids into running. So you'd think that running would be better for bone health, but it seems that if you like specialize kids in just focusing on distance running as opposed to other sports with multi-directional sort of stuff, that it's actually not as good for laying down good bone health as an adult. So yeah, yeah. I would say like yeah late specialization would be better so like just my my philosophy would be just like trying to get kids involved into lots of different sports see what they enjoy Mm. obviously if they really want to just do one sport that's where it gets a bit tricky when it's driven by the kid but i think as a parent um you just want to expose them to lots of different things and see what they enjoy and yeah for sure yeah And, and i think even if you do have a driven kid 
maybe uh, selling it to them as cross training might be yeah. a, a good yeah. way to do things. But yeah. yeah, it certainly seems to be a common situation is that early specialization and stress fractures that are seen yeah. hand in hand. So, yeah, for yeah, sure. I agree, for sure. What, what, what about in, in general terms? I mean, not, not just the kids, but do you think uh, runners accept injury as part of the game too easily? Do you think we have to accept <laughs> this as, as the norm? Uh, that's a good question. Um, yeah, I mean, I think you have to accept it to some extent if you're if you're quite performance driven because you're always going to be pushing the envelope for trying to get as fit as you can for whatever goal that you've got. Um, and obviously, yeah, injury rates are are high, and so it is to be expected that it is somewhat part and part and parcel, but. I guess the goal would just be trying to minimise that risk through hmm. the main thing, which I always tell everyone that comes in here, I guess, is um, is through their training habits and just getting getting that right first. Yeah. yeah. And do you use something like the, I guess, the 80-20 rule? In that yeah, respect? stuff like that. Yeah, definitely. So people that are just like far into the concept of how to, how to um, organise intensity through their week, like discussing that, that thought process of hmm. breaking up, you know, 80% being really low intensity. Um, a lot of people still don't, know about that like as a thing that they should be doing a lot of aerobic low intensity running and only a very small percentage of high intensity yeah um so I'm, yeah i'm actually talking about that a lot with people yeah we're, yeah. we're the same you know i mean in all aspects just yeah reducing that high intensity yeah. loading it's a massive part of it and like you say not very well known in lots of circles, no it's still not it's still not well known it's um yeah i'm still sort of surprised um just look at so many people coming in doing it's almost like I still get people doing like the opposite ratio it's like it seems like they're doing like 80% at, at pretty high intensity and, and hardly any sort of easy stuff just trying to break um, their 5k time every time they walk yeah, out yeah sort of stuff. pretty much yeah, yeah. Uh, see very very yeah. regularly now, what about that profile of injury over time um, it seems like the stats tell us that the same amount of people are getting injured who run uh, with all the technology changes do you think that's accurate again do you, do you see that in clinic yeah um, do you mean like over the years like decades yeah, of, yeah yeah um, it's, it's hard it's, it's the main argument against against um, sort of no change in injury rates is the profile of runners like the injury rates from from the 70s and 80s like the type of runners back then versus the type of runners now are probably somewhat different like the um more recreational runners, people coming from other sports, whereas maybe back then it was more just like the diehard runners, maybe lower BMI, more competitive type mm. of runner. Mm. Um, so you think those types of runners are getting injured less because of the technology changes? Um, they may, they, oh, to be honest, I'm not, I'm not really sure. Like I think the Possibly, yeah, possibly, yeah. Um, and then the injury rates have still been increasing maybe from some people that have, yeah, been quite sedentary and picking it up and, and just making training errors and just bumping up that injury rate. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just doing the wrong thing. Yeah. Yeah, 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 I'm sure. I'm yeah. sure that's the case. Mate, I noticed, uh, you know, the, the typical Born to Run book up on the shelf. Oh, uh, yeah. I, I, I'm amazed that you've got it here because you must be sick of explaining yourself there. Do you have to talk about it daily? Yeah, it's uh, not not as much as I used to. Like a few years ago, it was definitely more so. Um, but yeah, the concepts of that, and I'll have some people that are in here that have, um, and again, more so like a few years ago, but that have read the book and that have 
potentially gotten a bit carried away mm-hmm. and the fact that I've got the book particularly if they see that I've got the book at least they know that I know like I've read it so I I, I can talk about it because at least you know I'm not just um, going to start talking about something that I haven't even um, read about yeah yeah yeah, yeah. that's right um, so yeah so I get that buy in um, I guess with the book in here uh, but yes it definitely is still something that, that yeah. crops up I guess it makes some interesting points about, I guess, our origin as a species. But, yeah, do you, do you think we're really born to run 160Ks, for example? Like, do you think that's a that's a natural process? Uh, I've got no idea, to be honest. No, no, no. <laughs> um, I, I feel like that stuff is still not very... There's some conjecture, like, with around that, like... Like it does seem that we yeah that we're made to run and that that we've been running for for thousands of years, but how much I don't think anyone could mm. anyone could say really. Because it seems like there's a real performance barrier around running 160 k's a week, for example. Like that seems to be you know, almost the sweet spot as far as marathon times yeah. that sort of stuff. Yeah, it's uh, I guess we're just getting very close to the flame as far as that injury piece that we were talking yeah. about there. And that's where I think that whole intensity thing just becomes so important. Like as soon as anyone's trying to increase volume, I'm always, you know, you always, I think you just have to dial back intensity, even like make the easy runs even easier mm-hmm. so your body can absorb that extra mileage. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and, and I mean, on that note, how easy is your 12K commute run to and from work? Yeah, so easy. So that's kind of like I just go by effort. I don't use. I don't use. I'm not too objective personally. I just like to go by perceived effort. So it's kind of just like, at a, and it it will vary on just how I'm feeling. Like so, I don't actually. I'll look at it retrospectively, like the pace um, uh, after I've run it. But it's just it's just an easy. It's just at a pace that I could probably have a chat with someone or. Um, it feels like I'm actually recovering. It's at a pace that I feel like I'm not actually getting more fatigued, if yeah. that makes sense. Like, I am actually feel like those da- those easy days, I'm actually just trying to recover for the next harder day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I need to make sure those days don't actually feel like it's just adding fatigue, yeah. if yeah. that makes sense. It's kind of like just slow, slow, as slow as I need to, so I actually feel like that I'm my body's absorbing and recovering for the next hard day or long run or session yeah, day. Interesting perspective. And I guess try not to get too sweaty before you come to work. <laughs> yeah. Just, well, yeah, lucky I got showers here, so that does help. That is Otherwise, lucky. that would be a, yeah, that is lucky. a bit of a shock for people coming in. <laughs> Mate, rightly or wrongly, marathoners seem to be labelled by their PB. So is it more important for you personally to win Melbourne Marathon on a tough day in 2 hours 20? Or run two fourteen in Fukuoka. Yeah, two fourteen. Yeah, yeah. Didn't take long. I don't know. It's just like it's just yeah. Running is so like objective, and so times are just seem to be, um, just the yeah like a, a good benchmark. Yeah. But these these sort of benchmarks. So yeah, I don't know. I think like winning's always fun, and yeah, that was like a special moment, definitely. Um, but the if someone asked me like. Yeah, my best result. I probably would say that two fourteen. Yeah, in um, Fukuoka. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's it's an interesting yeah. one. I guess the conditions are so you know variable, and um, courses are so variable. Yeah. But we still live and die by that, yeah. that time. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So uh, yeah. we were just talking before about the uh, the qualifying process for the Tokyo Olympics for marathon, and they've put together this this marathon course that's essentially designed to run as fast as yeah. humanly possible. 
do you think that's the way to go or do you think that they need to be looking at new conditions and how people run in, in, a, in a race? Because yeah. championship marathons don't necessarily you know, bring fast times, they just bring yeah. medals. So yeah. Yeah, should we be chasing the times or should we be just looking at how people perform in a race? Yeah, it's, I, I don't know, I think this year is different in particular just because of um, uh, like COVID and the lack of international opportunities to to get, like it's, it's still, yeah, I don't know, it's still, time still come down to it for this, particularly because World Athletics is now um, sort of made, made stricter qualification time. So for Aussies to qualify um, or anyone to qualify, you still need to hit these times. Um, so I guess this race, I can see it was just an opportunity to at least get these standards, which which may be unrealistic for some runners on a, on a harder course. Yeah, okay. Um, and, and what are those times? 2.11 for the men? So 2.11.30 for yeah. men, and the girls, um, I'm not too sure to be honest. Um, and have we got anyone yeah running this weekend who's looking like hitting those times for all that effort of putting on no no so um jess jess stinson or uh trengrove was was gonna run but she's injured so unfortunately she got a stress fracture i believe so um yeah she's out now so i don't really know I don't really know yeah, if there's any Aussies that are really in contention to, okay. to get the qualifying time. All right, so that's an interesting uh, yeah, yeah. exercise anyway. Yeah, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. Oh, well, and not, not for you by the sound of things this week. No, no, so yeah, my, I just, I'm just not um, in a place fitness-wise to even think that I'd be able to run that time, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's interesting. You, you seem to have uh, come on with some amazing times in the last six months I guess like 62 minutes half marathon at the end of 2020 and then 28 something 10k in 2021 yep. so you're obviously fit but yep. the sickness has knocked you around a little bit yep it uh yeah it really it just it just broke my momentum you know it's just uh yeah I had a good had a good six months of really good six months of training and um as you know with with kids um there's that other added variable of the unknown of like when they get sick and that sort of stuff. So it just, it's just smashed us. Like my wife got sick, my kids got sick, I got sick and just like that added pressure and everything. And it's like, it's just like the last few months have just been mayhem. It's been like lack of sleep and yeah. So it's just like training's just been yeah. crappy. You just missed, missed sessions. And, and then on top of that, because of the fluctuation in, in training load, I've had like, I think just these little niggles that have cropped up that I've had to sort of manage and yeah. So I just need to get that, yeah, back with that momentum sort of, which I don't think is far away. Cause like I'm still doing a fair bit of running and just once I get the, the sessions back in and get some sleep back in so I'm recovering from this volume. <laughs> Cause like, yeah, I just feel like um, with the run commuting, I'm still <laughs> commuting, but I'm not quite, uh, recovering from the volume yeah right yeah with yeah. the lack of sleep so yeah. um, I need to start absorbing this and then I'll probably start training better and getting fitter again we can push on from there <laughs> yeah so so yeah. what's the uh, what's the answer to not getting sick from your kids then? Uh, just don't have kids <laughs> <laughs> no, no that's horrible little PG no. issues unfortunately <laughs> yeah. yeah I don't know like yeah it's one of those things you just gotta 
eat well and, and, and prioritize, like go to bed earlier to try and maximize hours. So if you don't get good quality, try and get a bit more, um, like duration. If you can try and get a bit more sleep, go have to go to bed earlier. So it's a bit of a sad, bit of a sad life. Very supportive wives as well, mate. Yeah. 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 Big (laughs) time. That's the answer. Too easy. (laughs) Mate, I want to talk about Kenyan or East African marathoners. Where does the, you know, 10 or so minute gap lie between us and them is it purely physiological or is it more aussies or western runners so to speak can we do in a bridge that gap in a legal sense of course <laughs> yeah um yeah it's one of those things like it's just just i think quite a few factors come into play um you know i, I there probably is that genetic component so they've got some physical attributes that are probably um helpful for distance running and then um the the financial like the number it's like it's a bit of a, just a numbers game right so it's like there's that many um, runners over there that people over there that are like using running as their sport to try and make an income I guess um, whereas here there's just so many options of, of not only sport but income like people aren't really most people aren't using sport as an as an income and and those that that are or, or want to they're picking sports that you actually get better pay at yeah. rather than running. Um, so the, the talent pool, I think, in Western countries will be smaller. And so I guess it is, it's a numbers game at the end of the day. It's yeah, like there's yeah. going to be more numbers and you'll have like just a, big, a better chance of having those, those genetically gifted runners that are deciding to run and then they reach their potential. They're being found. Yeah, 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 they're being found, yeah. So do you think there's, you know, a bunch of people in suits out here in North Sydney who could be, you know, 206 sure. marathons? Yeah, I reckon. <laughs> we should go ask yeah, some Yeah, I reckon there is. <laughs> we should go ask some people. <laughs> what about, uh, I mean, yeah, physiological sort of change between East Africa and here. What about De Costello? Like, mm. you know, same sort of genetic makeup, same sort of upbringing most likely. Why so you running 206 and, I guess... We're not, and not me yeah. personally, but Australians in general. Yeah, good question. I don't know. It's it's funny how um, it's it's actually surprising that that the yeah like the Aussie record's been standing for so long that his his time hasn't really been hasn't really got um, touched. Like the closest has been I think Lee Troop, and that was what almost twenty was that twenty years ago? Probably. Yeah. 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 So. I don't know what it is to be honest. I think there's like a lot of elite Aussie, uh, like good. Aussie runners have been focusing on shorter distances, like the, the Mottram era, like, he, you know, he, like 5K sort of distance. Don't know what would have happened if he stepped up. Maybe maybe would have done okay. But um, I think in Mona and Deke's era, marathon running was a bit more, maybe a bit more popular at that, mm. at that for the elites. I'm not sure. But um, yeah, I think, I think what you're saying about, I guess, the options there, that's changed over time. Like, certainly uh, money in... You know, professional sports like AFL, all those sorts of things, yeah. probably dragging some good athletes over to yeah. those sports. Whereas you could probably make some cash out of being a marathon or a fun runner back in the day. Yeah. Talked to Andrew Lloyd previously on the podcast, and he was making some decent coin yeah, out, okay. out of running 10Ks pretty well and yeah, the odd okay. marathon. So maybe that's changed. And yeah, there's, okay. There's a slightly different carrot out there, but yeah. you'd want to hope someone's targeting that 206 sort of time. And yeah. Anyway, one day, one day. <laughs> Mate, um, your role as a podiatrist, um, I have my certain frustrations being a, being a chiropractor with different practitioners around. Does it frustrate you, the amount of uh, practitioners that push orthotics onto patients? Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, 
it's it's annoying because it can just tarnish the profession as a whole. So like when there's certain um, certain yeah, like you say, it's like in every profession, there's like just certain certain people that will um, will sort of. I'm I'm optimistic though. Like I guess same it'd be same probably with with Cairo. I guess that that as a whole perception is sort of improving as as time goes on and as um, not pigeonholed into just this is how they you know a podiatrist would treat everyone just mm. dishing out an orthotic. Um, on the same hand, like it it becomes then tricky because there's obviously I, 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 there's still going to be like always a subpopulation of people that um, do need an orthotic so I think generally it's like whenever someone's very black or white about their opinion or very strongly opinionated one way or the other um, it's a bit of a red flag so I'd say most runners definitely most vast majority like don't don't need an orthotic and certainly don't need one as a long term tool but um, there's always going to be like those, you know, those, those, and I'm still trying to figure out like clinically how to identify those people that are, that might actually, for a certain amount of running, do better with it as a as a long term strategy. Um, but then, yeah, there's 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 just there's the opposite. There's some podiatrists that have gone totally the other way that are like anti any shoe that's not Vivo barefoot, yeah, right. um, and they're podiatrists, so they're just totally rejecting the traditional podiatry view and then you've got the real traditionalists that are the other end that are just like everyone that goes through the door you know you're not perfect you've got they just will rattle off some some sort of biomechanical abnormality mm-hmm. saying you need an orthotic to fix this mm-hmm. um and so yeah it's it's got to be it's not as <laughs> black and white it's got it somewhere in the middle and more towards like i think the traditional model was definitely way too rigid in like just looking for biomechanical abnormalities and it's more like the way I uh, modern podiatries it's more just on like a tissue stress approach and that's why like prefabricated short-term use of orthotics is more common now and the way I approach things more more often than not is just as a way to reduce load to an injured area so someone's already injured we're using an orthotic just as a tool to help them out of pain sooner and then for pretty much you know 90 percent or or you know, vast majority of people, we just get them out of it once their 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 pain's down and they're able to um, rehab out of needing it. Yeah, yeah, it's a good. It's um, a great answer. Uh, I, I often liken it when referring to podiatry. I'll often liken it to ankle strapping. You know, you yeah. you'll strap a person's ankle for a period of time, but you don't strap it forever. Yep. So you know, just need to get their strength back up to a point where they don't need it anymore. And yeah, I, I, I think orthotics is similar in that sense. Yes, yeah. I guess in in. In many ways, yeah, not all the time, like you say. Um, that's good. That's great. Um, I want to ask about some shoe stuff. So, if you're running the marathon tomorrow, what are you wearing? Uh, Nikes. I got some uh, next percents. Next percent. That's what I'd be wearing. Yeah. Yeah. And what about six foot track marathon? <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. Um, the guy, uh, Mike, a mate of mine, who came third. Uh, he messaged me before and he was like asking about whether he should wear, wear the next percents and he, en- he ended up I was like cautioning against them but just from an from a ankle sprain risk perspective but he wore them yeah and um, you know I think the benefits actually there you could actually because it's not overall not too technical mm. um, the benefit of like that level of cushioning and response um, I'd be tempted to to 
use something similar like one of those marathon like a high stack highly cushioned shoes um but my only concern would be like um uh, ankle sprain falling tripping mm. with a high stack less awareness of ground clearance and that yep. sort of stuff yeah so it's like a bit of a trade-off right so i think if you if you don't fall you potentially have better performance than you, <laughs> but, but you're probably at a higher risk of falling and having that's an acute right. an acute injury that's right that's, um, that, that is a trade-off i was sort of like wearing next percent while i was training up the course about a month prior uh, okay. to the race i was just okay. rolling my eyes and yeah then, yeah you know, the guy comes third wears the next percent yeah so. yeah uh, I think Ben um, Ben St. Lawrence went the the other way. He was in a pretty minimal pair of um, Salomons, okay. um, one of the yeah uh, lightweight trail models. It's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, there's so many uh, yeah. so many ways to do these things. So. I wore when I ran it. I wore the um, the Nike Luna Racer. Okay. So it was a road shoe, but it was um, more of a traditional kind of still relatively low to the ground, but, so but soft. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what about park run tomorrow? Are you still wearing your Ah, uh, just for next percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All just right. without the. We'll, we'll get on the we'll get on the carbon stuff a little bit more detail in a second, but I'll just quickly throw to uh, Sean Ranella just to talk about the Petzl Swift nine hundred lumens headlamp. Okay, welcome to Sean Tindale. Just popped down from training at base camp. How are you, mate? Fantastic. Yeah, good. Feel on top of the world. Top of the world. Say, yes. thanks, thanks for popping down in the middle of your session. I no, appreciate right. it, mate. How's the build-up to Ultra Trail going? Going great. Yeah? Yeah, I've done Good. my eight-week stint yeah. up there, and I've continued it on, because, uh, yeah, my, as you saw, my results, uh, I was pretty impressed. They were impressive, mate. Just, yeah. Uh, yeah, my heart rate just dropped from recovery to... In, through the intensity of the exercises yeah. and um, mate, I'm feeling great. Good mate. And oh feeling goodness. it, I'm, I've been doing a lot of training as you know on the bike yep. and about to head across to Mudgee this weekend for the Mudgee Classic which is 120 kilometres and yeah, I'm just, my training even on the bike, I'm just feeling... Feeling fit. Efficient. Yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, feeling good, really good. So yeah, good. just, and uh, yeah, so I recommend it to anyone. Oh mate. To get up here, yeah, it's a great mixture of training um, with your external stuff, and yeah, it's just yeah. something different that really has its benefits. Unreal. Mm. Oh, thanks for the plug, mate. That's great. But we, I mean, really, we're here to talk about uh, some some new kit. So the Petzl Swift RL headlamp. Yes. Um, I've been using for the last maybe month or so now, and it's yeah. been a little bit of a game changer for me. Um, yeah. What can you tell us about it? The Petzl Swift, the RL, obviously, the RL stands for reactive lighting. Yep. Um, and it's 900 lumens, so it's been out for a bit over 12 months. It's a new one from Petzl that for 900 lumens is quite quite strong. Yeah, um, oh, mate, they, before that, they had the um Petzl Neo Plus, which is 750, mm-hmm. so this is an extra 150 lumens. So, you know, you're getting 900 lumens, you're getting 150 meters of beam yeah. uh, out in front of you, so it's, it's pretty strong. Yeah, uh, and it only weighs 100 grams. So it's pretty light. Yeah, um, you certainly feel that, mate. It's, yeah. yeah. So yeah, obviously, yeah, it's it's we're, it's been for me the sales the head headlamp this this season mm. for the for the UTA coming up. Um, obviously, just being so light and the, and the, the nine hundred lumens is what's what's getting people. The reactive lighting, obviously, reactive lighting is a, it has a sensor on it that yeah. analyzes. The ambient light mm. and automatically adjust the brightness to your needs. So, yeah. 
basically you don't have to press any buttons so it's very convenient mm. it helps with battery life as well um, and burn time life so you're not having to worry about you know oh, pressing buttons so pretty much in a nutshell when you're looking down or you're reading a map or something like that it concentrates and beams down onto that object yeah and then when you put your head up it automatically lights up and shoots far shoots far yeah okay so it's clever it's it's a clever thing that mm. yeah um yeah so you're not having to worry about it does have standard features as well so you don't have to use the reactive lighting you can yep. turn it off yeah and you can just use the three beam feature mm. um which is easy to use as well and that's that's the the functionality of this is quite easy one button mm. bang 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 it's just it's only got that one button so it's got a lock on it as well mm. um so you can basically switch it on, lock it. So if you're bumping it, bump something, it's not going to change. Perfect. Uh, yeah. yeah. So it's obviously as well got a five level uh, gauge on it for monitoring the battery life. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Okay. So as the battery burns down, yep. okay, the lights take off. And yep. then obviously when you're getting low, you know yeah, yeah, you're getting low. And it goes up to a certain certain light. Certain light. Yeah. Yep. And, and obviously, I'm... yeah, with that reactive lighting, the... 300 meters is 55 300 lumens is the 55 meters yep. so you can have it set on that lower range mm. and you know that's burn time up to five hours okay yeah, five right. hours the 900 lumens 150 yep. on full burn time is a two hour okay yeah and that's when it. you're getting down it ha does have a reserve as well yep. so when the battery is really low it has 15 lumens at a two hour oh right so if you when the when it gets down to basically Low, no battery, yep. it will go into a, an emergency sort of backup. Okay, that's good to know. It gives you at least two hours of, yeah. at 15, so at least you're getting a little bit of light. Um, yep, yep. Yeah. Should be enough to get you up further steps if you're exactly. uh, you running a juice. Yeah, yeah, yeah perfect. Yeah. Well, mate, I, I certainly noticed the, uh, yeah, the, the 900 lumens is amazing. Like, it seriously yes. makes night into day. That's yeah. incredible. Um, and and the, the ease of use, I mean, I'm pretty technologically challenged and it was pretty simple straight out of the box for me. Yeah. So anyone else can use it. Yeah. And, and I've been switching between that reactive lighting, which I find fantastic on, on the night running, into just full burn mode, like when I get onto a techie sort of trail. Yeah. And it's unbelievable. Yeah. Like it, it, um, yeah, like, like I said, it, it just makes it like day. So anything sort of technical, you can whack it on that, that full burn mode. And it's, and it's yeah, what you go for. You, you need that bright light when you're getting tired towards yeah. the end of the race. That's when, yeah, you're going to be fatigued. So you, you want to be seeing everything. Yeah, um, absolutely. You can. It's obviously, it's got a nice adjustable reflective headband as well. So it's all reflective. Uh, the headlamp obviously tilts as well you'll yep. see there's a tilt adjustment as well that you can adjust on top of your head um, yeah and the battery it's got a uh, rechargeable USB port battery yeah and um, it's in the front too so not no, this big bulky stuff on the back of your head either, no which is exactly nice. yeah. yeah and the charge time for the battery people often ask it's six hours okay to charge it yep. and it's full yeah yeah, and yeah, obviously I mean, it is a little bit weather resistant as well. Um, you know, it can take a bit of water on it yeah. and rain. Yeah, cool. So. No, mate, I've never never used anything better personally. It sits beautifully on your head. The the way they've oriented the strap, it's kind of like having a set of goggles on. I suppose like it just doesn't move. It yeah, doesn't bounce around at all. Um, super lightweight. Yeah, it's it sort of ticks all the boxes. And for me, that two hour burn time is 
absolutely enough for almost anything you know what i yes. mean like any training run you're doing out at night are you really running for more than two hours yeah. you can almost just burn the thing you know yeah, at 900 looms the whole time exactly so, yeah and then like you say it's got the, the the longer options there as well so yeah it ticks all the boxes for yeah. from my point of view it was fantastic so no exciting it's exciting yeah. and um, yeah how's your training going that's no, good. Yeah, last long run on the Tuesday, so tapering nicely, yeah. Can't wait to start the carb load process. You know? <laughs> That's always the best fun. And then, yeah, hit it on, on game day, I suppose, ready yeah. to roll. Uh, looking forward to the post-game feast, I suppose, yes. too. So, yeah. a couple of beers. It's I'm all... sure everyone is, yeah. It's, yeah. A, it's an exciting race that, um, yeah. Ready to roll, though, I think. So, bring it on. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, all right, thank you. Thanks for coming down. And uh, all listeners, make sure you get down to Renala and check out your Petzl Swift RL headlamp, 900 lumens. And um, yeah, Sean will give you a nice B Running Matters discount. Thanks, exactly. mate. Yeah, so, thanks, Paul. See you soon. And now I've got a couple of listener questions. So uh, this one's coming from my co-host, The Wolfman. So I ran two unofficial marathons during COVID, but wanted to make my PB official at this year's Canberra Marathon. I developed plantar fasciitis and glute med med tendonitis on the opposing leg. I've been told by my very attractive chiropractor that I was trying to maintain peak fitness for far too long. Is this true? And how important is periodization in this respect? Can I maintain a high level for a length of time? Okay. So he's been running marathon fitness, let's say for 12 months, doing those sorts of sessions. And then unsurprisingly, He's getting tendonitis. Yeah. So, how long can you stay at marathon fit for? Not very long. Mm-hmm. No, I don't. I don't think so. Um, it, it just like anecdotally, uh, that's a bit. I think a pretty com- common scenario where people would just be sort of pretty high mileage, trying to peak for a long time, and then pick up pick up niggles. So I think, I think that was actually I heard that about this happening a lot more. Yeah, during COVID, so same sort of thing. No, um, just don't have the races where you have like those those down like the taper like if you're not tapering for a race you just sort of you keep going keep going through like relatively monotonous tra- high training load um, so yeah I would say probably yeah pretty decent risk factor it's just not having those planned down periods for absorbing like yeah. some some coaches and runners will have like like periodized down week every whatever three or four weeks um which i think can help with that if you're if you're someone that that hasn't got a race at least just have like these down weeks planned um to help absorb that makes sense to me makes sense to me there's a disaster waiting to happen in my opinion (laughs) all right this is coming from the swiss machine so i'm a 45 year old runner with the arthritic second toe of an 80 year old is it time to swallow my pride and start running in hockers full time yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> uh, any shoe that that has like a rocker forefoot design, it's a little bit stiffer. Um, shoes with plates and a rocker. Um, it can. Uh, the only thing with the with the plated shoes is a lot of them are racing flat, so you need to make sure that if you're using it as a daily trainer, it's not too unstable. Mm-hmm. So. Um, but yeah, hocker, pretty pretty decent option because they're relatively stiff even without a plate and they've got the rocker design so it yeah. takes a lot of load off that joint off that arthritic toe yeah. And, yeah and do you see that clinically are you, are you putting people in those shoes specifically for that purpose yeah so it's actually a relatively common problem like um big toe joint arthritis is is relatively common um and so that is just 
yeah, fantastic way to to enable someone to keep training um, through it essentially and not not keep wearing it out, delay the need for surgery, um, that sort of stuff. Just sort of strip, like all it stress shielding. So just find um, a shoe that will um, do the job of the joint for it, which is what the rocker design kind of does. Yeah. It it helps with that forward motion without the bending. Yeah, yeah. perfect. There you go, Swiss. You heard it <laughs> Get the hockers, mate. Hockers. This is uh, coming from Coach Sean. So I'm, I'm a sub-elite marathoner, but took two clients recently for a training around the six-foot track, and I'm now determined to give this iconic trail race a crack. Do you have any tips for me to shift focus from the roads to the mountain trails? Oh, just, just... Just run fast down some hills. <laughs> just yeah, okay. Get the quads built. Oh yeah, that that's what main things I found is just that that eccentric loading of the quads on the downhills is just like a different beast, which I'm not used to it. Mm. Um, even like I, I like living in Sydney, still like run a fair few hills, mm. but it's different when you're trying to run at a race pace down really steep Two and a lot of hills. hills. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I remember one training run one of my first training runs up in the mountains um, and I sort of did like a race simulation down the start so down like Nelly's Glen yeah, yeah. and I got to the bottom and my my legs were like jelly my quads were like and I had planned like a 37k run to like Cox's Road or whatever and I got to the bottom I was like how am I going to do this run and so like it was just ridiculous <laughs> just like running downstairs is like a whole other thing as well so yeah. if, you're, if you're bounding and missing you're like doing like skipping a stair at a time running downstairs like it is just such a brutal load on the quads yeah, yeah it's like 10 times your body weight yeah it's crazy leg. so i think yeah, yeah that you gotta prepare yourself for that that running down the stairs as well i reckon yeah okay good tip <laughs> good tip i do i did hear that his quads blew up after that training run so it's pretty good advice thanks tom <laughs> uh this is coming from gary howard why don't you come to training more often? I really miss you. <laughs> is this real? This is Fred Nickham. <laughs> uh, sorry, Gary. I'll, I'll try harder. Kids getting in the way, obviously. Yeah, I messaged yeah. him. It was only, yeah, only like on uh, Friday night saying, no, Saturday morning. No, Friday night. I was like, I'll be there tomorrow. And then, and then Saturday morning, sorry. <laughs> Can't make it. Uh, well, I'm giving my wife a sleep in because she oh, didn't sleep last night. There you go. That's good sacrifices we <laughs> yeah. have to make. Uh, so does Gary write your programs, Tom? Yeah, pretty pretty much. So we, we, um, we'll have like a, a, a race that we're um, going to go for. So it's not like a continual program. We'll basically like, I'll be just like doing my own thing and then... I'll be like, yeah, Gary, okay, I've got to get fit for this now. And then we'll have like a plan. We'll set out a plan. So have like key, key races and, and sort of general idea on, on, on how I'm going to periodize it and, and the races leading in, into mm-hmm. it. Yeah. So you have a lot of input into that programming yourself there. You yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, it, it works, works really well, actually. So he's, he's happy. He's not going to... Um, oh, he will, t- he will message me occasionally, like when I am doing my own thing and he's like, what are you doing? Yeah, right. <laughs> and like, which I like, it's good. He was like, yeah, if I'm doing something, he gives me free reign, but then if, if I am doing something a bit um, silly, mm-hmm. he'll just shoot me a message. And, and what does he tend to pull you up on? What kind of stuff going too hard, um, too soft? Uh, so, okay, sometimes easy runs too fast. Sometimes easy runs too slow. <laughs> uh, uh, what else? Um... Yeah, more more like just if I'm just not not putting in the effort and doing the proper sessions. If I'm just like not doing proper mm-hmm. like 
I'll do some random session on the way to work instead of doing something he's suggested. Yeah, right. <laughs> or, you know, not specific enough for, for the race prep or, or whatever. Just half-hearting it. Yeah, like pretty much. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> just yeah. a little nudge. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. All right, this is coming from Lexi Gilmore. So who would win a 1,500 metres between yourself or Nida? <laughs> oh, that's a good question, Lexi. Uh, me, obviously. That's <laughs> <laughs> simple. Good, good uh, yeah, confidence. Clearly. That would be a good race. We were talking about um, about teeing this up this summer. It never happened. Yeah. I think but, a uh, mile would be better. Do it over a mile. A mile, yeah. Well, Nida's got um, osteitis pubis now, so oh, I'd, I'd definitely take him. Take him now. But, um, yeah. But uh, in his peak, it would be. It'd, it'd be I'm terrible at fifteen hundred, so. Um, you gotta have some he, pace though to run twenty eight minutes for ten k. It's a joke. I ran so when I ran so I ran um, about five or six weeks before state three k. I ran a fifth. I ran a few fifteen hundreds, and my fastest was four oh seven. Yeah. And then I, I ran like yeah five weeks or whatever it was later. I ran a three k in eight twelve. It doesn't make sense. It does, yeah. So, yeah, it does, I don't, I just can't, it, I don't know how it works, but so yeah, I've got no leg speed for the shorter stuff. It's just, I, I don't know. I don't know what it is. Yeah, it's, it's, it's in no there fast somewhere. Twitch. It's in there somewhere. This is coming from uh, Lisa Left Leg. So, I, I keep getting recurrent injuries on only one leg. So, knee reconstruction, two tibial stress fractures, but my other leg is great. Uh, I've been told that it's due to the foot being really stiff, so my biomechanics are off. How can I make myself even so I can either break both legs or none? <laughs> is this a common uh, situation? Just one leg being you know, stressed more than the other side? Yeah, I mean, I'll see it a bit. And I think being a podiatrist, I see more of that skewed because they might have be referred from like a physio or someone which wants me, they want me to check their biomechanics as a potential risk factor. Um, so... Yeah, I mean, it's it's possible there's some sort of mechanical, if alluding to the foot, like it's possible that it could be a, a down-upward effect, but it it could also be like a, a, a top-down effect. So my job would be, I guess, for someone like yourself in this situation, would be looking at um, if the foot is a significant factor with potentially altering load up the limb. Mm. Uh, and then it would be a matter of, is there some sort of, it's not a combination of things, but... Is, is it is it going to be a footwear orthotic sort of deal that we need to like delve into mechanically altering things or is it just more directed rehab that needs to be and sometimes it's a combination of both but but um, just figuring out what what it is and like yeah, occasionally there'll be for example like someone that's had a, a tip post tear or they've had an extremely like they've had a trauma like on a trail they might have ruptured a couple of lateral ligaments and they might have ruptured deltoid on the medial side mm-hmm. less less common but potentially more um, long term effects when you say do a like a tip post tear or deltoid tear where potentially the mechanics are, are very different to what they grew up with. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where footwear and orthotics might play a role in like altering that load, pushing it back to what the body was used to pre-trauma. Pre-trauma, yeah. Um, and sometimes the ability of rehab to help these things can just be like hitting your head against the wall. And that's where that's, yeah, um, something like the orthotic or the footwear advice, specific advice around that could play a significant role in 
reducing recurrence rates for those sorts of injuries. Yeah, for sure. And I, and I yeah. guess if you're doing that rehab with that uh, compensatory biomechanics there and just keep banging away at the wrong sort of patterns, then obviously your third is going to help be the, yeah. the icebreaker there, yeah. I, I suppose. So, yeah, good, good advice. On the, uh, the idea of... Um, yeah, acute sort of injury. Uh, I've got something in from the running dietitian. So I seem to keep spraining my ankles on the trails. I've been told that trail running should be actually strengthening my ankles, but is it important to be doing complementary strengthening exercises for trail running? This is from Sophie. It is. Um, yeah, I would say I would say yes. Um, I would say yes. You could always, even for even for track runners or road runners, like that complementary stuff. There's just something something different, um, something different to it that can uh, build resiliency. I'd say. Um, yeah, Sophie's someone that's just had so many recurring ankle sprains that, and anyone that has had more than one, like the recurrence rates are quite high, and so it's almost like I think it's a an ongoing mission to to uh what's the word to make sure that you're doing everything you can to reduce the another like the chance of another ankle sprain yeah maintain stability so always working on trying to improve yeah improve stability and and activation proprioception and strength Mm -hmm. um yeah so work harder so come on (laughs) i don't want to see you spraining your ankle on ultra trail please don't sprain it again you've done it too many times (laughs) Uh, so speaking of ultra trail, this is coming from Ian Richard. So for all of the people getting ultra trail ready, how can you offload your big toe and not lose that nail with all the downhill running? Ah. So to some extent, I think you, there's always going to be a little bit of nail tra- trauma. Um, to if there's going to be like a lot of downhill, because mm-hmm. like doesn't matter how good the the lacing system is or the security of the shoe is, like your, your foot's probably going to at least tap the end. Mm-hmm probably a matter of like how forcefully it hits the end so like the better fitting the shoe um the more secure lockdown you can get at the heel and the midfoot through the lacing system or the shape of the upper matching you the shape of your foot and so the so it's still going to slide forward but but if it can sort of prevent it from hitting the front as hard then that's obviously going to be helpful and having a bit of a buffer at the end so obviously if you're doing yeah the really long long stuff the fitting of the shoe, you might have a touch, you might want to be sizing a touch bigger. Mm-hmm. So you've got a little bit more room before the toe, the, the toe would hit the end. And the big one is like as well, is a lot of people um, may forget or not realize that it's really important to cut your toenails really short a few days before the event or the long training run or whatever. The toenail needs to be cut as short as practical. So it's not extending anywhere near past the end of the toe so it's the more the toe touching the shoe than the nail itself touching the shoe good mike very practical <laughs> makes sense to me there you go now uh, i want to preface the next two questions for the listeners with a disclaimer that they are some seriously nerdy shoe chat and if you have small children in the car you should potentially turn the podcast down <laughs> and not expose them to this level of shoe geekery kind of like a strong language warning on triple j so this is coming from Stu VO2 76.5. Uh, before the super shoes, I used to do my hard efforts in racing flats and do my easy runs in bigger supportive shoes to reduce the risk of injury. But now wearing the Vaporfly, I want to wear them for every run because I find them to be less impact on my recovery runs. 
Do I even need a recovery pair of shoes anymore or can I just buy more vapor flies? <laughs> um, good question. I've often thought that as well. It's like, I just want to wear this for everything. Um, I reckon you can always have too much of a good thing and I'd be worried like that there's not enough variety if you're always wearing, you know, a particular type of shoe. Plus, it is it is a racing flat, so that that although it feels protective, it's it's if you look at the shoe the way it's designed, it's extremely narrow base. It's um, high stack, narrow base, really soft foam. So that that combination of high off the ground, narrow base, and super squishy foam is like an unstable mixture. So I find that even people with slightly deviated mechanics it can accentuate those mechanics, particularly as the shoe wears. So the risk being that it feels forgiving, feels comfortable, but um, it's actually potentially can create issues with injuries in, in terms of lack of stability. Mm-hmm. It's almost, you'd almost be more stable in a, you know, a traditional racing flat. Although it doesn't feel as plush, it's lower to the ground. The ground is obviously extremely stable because it doesn't move. It's solid, firm surface um, plus running in a plate all the time we don't know the long term consequences of that yet so um, it will shift load um, potentially you know the, there's less metatarsal midfoot stress but that stress has got to go somewhere else so it may go further up the chain so you may feel totally fine until which point you have a hamstring tendinopathy or you have something else like anecdotally there's been lots of runners that are getting sacral stress fractures Mm -hmm. so things may feel great for six months till bang you've all of a sudden got i don't want to scare people but (laughs) you've got some (laughs) other some other injuries so she needs to be scared by the sound (laughs) i think variety is key so if you love zoom x and you love that shoe just get the um get uh, you know get the invincible you know get get the training version of that shoe which nike have now made Mm -hmm. but even with that that being said it's still not very stable. Like I've got a pair, and um, and it's super comfortable, and it's more stable than an X percent. But it's still Zoom X. It's still marshmallow soft. Mm-hmm. So and it's still high stack. So even though it's like that really oversized base, you get a little bit more side to side movement because it's just it's a marshmallow. It's not the ground. Still. It's not the ground. So yeah, I'd um. I'd have a few in the rotation, but I'd, I'd suggest like having more traditional shoes and as well as super shoes in the rotation Yeah, to play it safe. Good call. What about the idea of using sort of heavier shoes for training purposes and then feeling amazing when you put your, your super shoe on for, for race day? Is there yeah. some value there? Uh, psychologically, yeah. I think definitely psychologically. Um, and from an injury standpoint, yeah, again, it's just like it's, it's a different load so it's just it's slightly different and those those traditional heavies do have more stability components to them so whether or not it's going to reduce injury rates don't really know but it's um from the foot level it probably makes sense that if it's more stable there might be less risk of some foot and ankle mm-hmm. issues um like traditionally it was like when you wore the the heavies after a session day it was because your calf and achilles was cooked and you'd you'd want like a bit more cushion a bit more drop maybe in in the shoe to sort of offload that that posterior chain um it's a bit different now with super shoes where where load's going but um i still think there's merit in 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 having some kind of slightly more stable shoes 
traditional shoes for some easy runs for most people. It's yeah. always exceptions. No, 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 but, no, of course, of course. But, there's, no, there's no hard and fast answer uh, there. But no, it's interesting. I just the the idea of sort of uh, yeah overloading the system with a you know a fifty gram per shoe heaviest shoe during training and then taking them off and you know, yeah. flying on the track afterwards. Yeah, kind of makes sense. Anyway. Uh, this is coming from Thrive with Shannon. So, should I be putting my kids in these super shoes? I wouldn't. No. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not like super against anything that's not natural for kids. But, but for the most part, you, uh, I'd get you know kids. Depend again, depend on the age. But I'm thinking of like my kids that are really young, that that are sort of just coming into school age, as barefoot and as sort of less sure as possible so they can just develop that strength intrinsically without relying on any sort of external features like you know extreme amounts of cushion or stability features or plated you know uh, plates and stuff like that um uh when yeah like it's it's a bit awkward when it gets to the kids like getting into like high school and that sort of age like they're still developing like they're going to start wanting these sorts of shoes like it's tricky when it gets to that age, but um, I would still be trying to not. I'd still be in the developmental phases, like stages, even in teenage years, not using them that much, mm-hmm. to be honest. Taking the Kenyan approach and going barefoot for as long as possible. Yeah, pretty much, as long as until which point, like you know, your your foot's sore or your Achilles is sore, and like just get you know, you use it as you need it, and particularly as as volume picks up. Um, like the, like the research on minimal shoes and and running, like the the the. Uh, the, this is adults, but still, like the more protective for people that are running less miles. Like once you start, I think getting to really high mileage, or a kid starting to do a little bit more training, you might want to start protecting the foot and ankle more, particularly if they are pulling up a little bit sore around the foot and ankle. Um, so you can have some more stability features, and but I would probably let be guided by the amount of training they're doing and if they're actually pulling up a little bit sore around certain areas then you'd sort of maybe have some shoe features in shoes that are protective of what's feeling a little bit overworked yeah yeah, yeah. okay um, yeah good if that makes sense no it's certainly that's great and then now for the nerdiest question of all uh do you think the additional weight this is coming from jake shaw uh, oh yeah do you yep. think the additional weight in the alpha fly versus the next percent is worth it for the marathon based on the additional energy return from the four-foot pods? Oh, great question. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I love these questions. Uh, I was having this chat with, um, uh, with you know, do you know Hopper? Yeah. He messaged me the other day about he's doing, I think, Gold Coast Marathon. He's like, oh, should I get a pair of the Alpha Flyers? You know, they're going to, I want to, you know, I want to run faster. I'm like, I don't know. It's like, I think there's going to be some people that, responders to alpha and some that aren't so and then i sent i sent hopper a photo screenshot of um kipchoge on the weekend and the nn mission marathon where he had a pair of next percent so he wasn't wearing the alphas okay um so because the argument would be like well alpha's going to be better because kipchoge broke two hours in that shoe but um there's no like we don't there's no data like the the data note in me is like well all the information we've got is actually all in the four percent and we know the four percent is has economy improvements for almost everyone compared to traditional shoes the next percent is somewhat similar to the four percent um but the alpha fly is quite different like i have no idea objectively if the pods are actually any better yeah okay so i reckon it comes down to feel like like personally um 
as I've said to people before, I don't, I'm not, I haven't bought an Alpha Fly, and I don't think I will because I don't think I'm going to be a responder to that extra amount of cushion and weight. Mm-hmm. So like, it's like, it's like, a, it's always like a, a trade off, like the cushion to weight ratio, and obviously you want to have that best ratio. Um, and it's not that always more cushion is better. I think for some people, there's a sweet spot of cushion. Um, there's a really interesting study on that actually with the, when they, have you seen, have you read that one with the treadmill belt and they put cushion on the belt? No. no. So they had, because <clears throat> they, they wanted to find out like the actual effect of cushioning and they've done it with footwear, but it's hard to control for other factors like weight. So they, they've got the runners running barefoot on a treadmill and they put like one centimeter of foam wrapped around the belt. Yeah, right. And they found that um, most runners were more economical um, with that, so cushioning had a protective effect, or not protective, they had a, um, performance, a performance effect. Yeah. Um, then they did two centimeters, like if one centimeter is good, what does two centimeters do? And um, some runners, their performance um, declined, yeah. um, so more cushion meant they were less economical, yeah. so two centimeters, and two centimeters, like these shoes are four centimeters at the rear foot, so mm-hmm. it's like a lot of cushion. This was just EVA foam though, so that's also a different sort of foam. But yeah, it was really interesting to see that study, because like, there's, it's just like the Goldilocks principle with it's across everything in life, yeah. pretty much. It's like there's always a sweet spot. So for some people, the Alpha Fly, that extra bit of cushion might mean that it's better for them, even though it weighs a little bit more. It's going to be maybe better for them for marathons. But um, personally, I reckon um, for me and for a lot of runners, the next percent is probably going to be as good, if not better. Yeah, okay. just because it's a bit lighter, and and do you really need the four foot pods? I don't know. Like, I just don't know. <laughs> I just don't, don't know. know. And do you think we are getting just far too specific with our with our shoe chat in general terms? We're talking about Deke before Lee Troop. Yeah. These guys are running yeah. in not done on volleys, but they're yeah. running in some pretty sort of standardised running shoes. Are we going down the rabbit hole too far? Um. I'm biased because I just love talking about shoes, so I just want to keep talking about shoes all the time. But um, yeah, it always comes back to um, you know the the tr- other factors are going to be much more important. Obviously, like training habits and stuff like that, and getting all that right, and your recovery. So you, you the training and then like prioritizing your training and then your recovery from that training is always going to be like the number one thing. Um, footwear until recently was questionable with performance until we actually got these studies that have been sort of replicated by third parties that show the shoes can actually make a difference so it's not like shoes don't matter it's like if you do pick it kind of makes a a difference now like if if you're someone that's very performance focused and you do really care about whether you're going to run you know one minute faster or two minutes faster in the marathon or potentially more then yeah like just trying to wearing a super shoe or the thing with super shoes though is like once the other brands catch up the difference won't be that much so it's be like just pick something that's high stack really resilient foam and it probably won't matter too much which brand you go with you just pick what feels comfortable like what we used to do with racing flats just pick a racing flat that you feel like feels like it's works with you feels comfortable and feels like you're going to run fast in it and it'll be the same thing i think in a, in a couple of years when all the brands have like their marathon shoe that has like this super foam that has a plate um you just sort of find what's what you feel is comfy and yeah just, that's just the marathon shoe that we have, all have it's the way to do it and nice and don't stress too much about pod no pod yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> that's probably getting too too down to like yeah, yeah. um yeah, make, make sure, sure we make, do. Make sure it fits. I guess is the uh, yeah, make sure, one. yeah. Make sure it fits. Yeah. The fit. As I always say, so fit before function. Yeah, 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 make sure it fits well. Yeah, good, good advice. Yeah. So, 
two months to go, Gold Coast Marathon. How are you, how are you feeling? Are you uh, ready to I'm pull something out pumped. of that? I'm getting I'm getting pumped, yeah. It's getting closer and I'm like, I'm just starting to pull my head in and, and get a bit more like motivated, so. Yeah, good. Yeah. Are we gonna get get fit 214 out of you? Yeah, I'm hoping to run like um, a big PB, so. Unreal. Yeah. Oh, man, that's like exciting. So. And uh, if people want to follow your progress, how, how's the best? Uh, so I'm on Strava, so just my name. Um, on Strava, or I'm a little bit on Instagram, but I don't post that much. But yeah, Instagram. Instagram as well. Strava, yeah, social media for athletes. <laughs> and uh, if people want to come and chat shoes with you, uh, just look up Walker Street Podiatry. Yeah, Walker Street Sports Podiatry. Um, yeah, always keen to chat shoes. <laughs> <laughs> Unreal. Well, thank you for chatting shoes with us today on Running Matters. Uh, yeah, good luck in the Gold Coast and we look forward to seeing your progress. Thanks, Paul. Thanks for having me on. No worries. Thanks, Tom. Yeah.